Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the review panel. Um, who is here for the first time at the review panel? Ah, right. That's, um, <coughs> that's not so many. Well, um, there's some work for us to do then to fill the rest of the hall with some, some newcomers. But for your benefit, and um, just to refresh the memories of everyone else, I should say what the format is. But in actual fact, it occurs to me that the format's completely new today anyway, so it's completely irrelevant. Um, we are doing things a little bit differently in terms of image and presentation. Um, because we are gathered to survey, to critique two exhibitions that are surveys and offer 60 artists between them, um, it's, not in, it's not so useful or appropriate to whoosh people around those two exhibitions, those two voluminous surveys uh, uh, with an introductory video, because in truth, no one's going to remember anything from that. And hopefully, um, people have actually gone to see the shows we're talking about. Don't be shy, don't be bashful, just let me know. As, a, as an anonymous statistic, I'll only share it with Mark Zuckerberg. Tell me if you have seen the Invitational of the American Academy. Fabulous. And tell me if you've seen the Triennial at the New Museum. Even more fabulous. Excellent. So, about the same as the ratio of panelists, I'm sure. Anyway, um, what we're going to do instead is, as names come up in the course of conversation, or um, as people begin to describe things, as my guests begin to describe things that are on the, the, um, uh, in those exhibitions, I shall perhaps a bit insanely attempt to be a DJ as well as a moderator and pick out those images on the um, iPad here. Um, and so we will get to see what we're talking about as we're talking about it. But the, the rule and the principle remains that this is a panel, a discussion, uh, a debate, not uh, a slideshow, not a lecture. It's not, I believe, incumbent upon us to show you all the images in the show, uh, and nor, um, nor is it our job to turn around and tell you everything you need to know about a given image. The images are figures, are illustrations to the critical points that we're going to develop in our discussion. Well, first duty, the pleasurable duty, is to uh, introduce uh, my guests and myself. I'm David Cohen, publisher and editor of artcritical.com and founder of the moderator of the review panel, now in its 13th year, which began its life at the National Academy Museum and is here in the Brooklyn Public Library for its fourth annual season. Um, David Sally, renowned, internationally renowned painter, represented by Scarstedt Fine Art here in New York City, and um, more recently um, uh, uh, renowned as an art writer. His criticism appears um, with some regularity now in the New York Review of Books, and he has collected his uh, uh, writings on art or, um, in a book, How to Read. 
published by, how to see, I beg your pardon. <laughs> uh, how, how to read is Ezra Pound. How to see is David Sally. How to eat is Nigella Lawson. And uh, there are other how-tos out there, but how to see is published by? Norton. No, Knopf. No, Norton. Norton, yeah. it's published by Norton. Excellent. Jessica Bell Brown is a scholar completing her dissertation at Princeton. Um, she is a, a critic who um, uh, has recently joined the ranks of the Brooklyn Rail. Um, and uh, as um, a scholar, her dissertation uh, topic uh, concerns um, uh, painting that moves beyond the stretched canvas to uh, three dimensions and to irregular supports um, in the in the 1960s. 70s, mm -hmm. 70s, with um, a focus on some individuals, including the very interesting painter Joe Overstreet, who has a current exhibition at um, Eric Firestone Loft um, in uh, NoHo. Um, and Jarrett uh, Ernest. Jarrett is uh, an, uh, an artist and a writer um, who's... Uh, Criticism, mostly his interviews, uh, appeared for many years now in uh, the Brooklyn Rail, but is now concentrated on independent projects. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't see the hilarity in that one, but that's the, <laughs> the, the comic genius there to, to be able to deliver such a funny line as that with a straight face. Um, that his, um, he is, has a book, um, What It's Like to Write About Art, what it means to write about art. What it means to write about art, to be published by David Zwerner Books in the fall. It's an interview with um, 30 of the 33 most important art critics in the world. The three that are not included are the co-panelists. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, um, it does exclude painters, curators, and um, probably magazine editors as well. So. That might be the explanation in a way. Uh, and uh, it's, it should be a riveting collection, and we can't wait for it. It's in the, published in the fall. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, actually, um, just as we were killing time in the green room, um, somebody asked, I think it was Jarrett. Jarrett asked me, who is my favorite art critic? And um, I just gave the reply, John Ruskin, in order to close the conversation down. Um, but it seems like a good way to actually have the critics, um, have the panelists introduce themselves. So in, in, in just, just the name, no need for a description or discussion. Um, David, who is your, who do you look to as your kind of mentor, um, muse, art critic? Uh, Fearful Porter. Right. Jessica? Right now I'm really loving Doreen St. Felix, who writes occasionally about art. Right. I feel constricted by the rules. <laughs> Two names, both dead, Leo Steinberg and Jill Johnston. Excellent. Very good. That may help give us some bearings on what we're about to hear. Great. Well, let's get some images up just for the sake of it. Just going to zoom through the second show that we're going to talk about and just leave it there with Alison Saar and Todd Bienvenu. Um, that's a good 
presence to have hovering over one as one begins to talk. Good. Um, Jasper Johns famously said that artists are the elite of the servant class. And it seems to me that the, the economics and the um, class status and the um, relationship to society, to fellow workers, um, actually is a common denominator between the two very different uh, exhibitions that we're thinking about um, this evening. They couldn't, in a way, be more different as ways to organize um, a, a survey of art. An exhibition at an august, almost gentleman's club type academy, uh, the American Academy of Arts and Letters, uh, which uh, is able to award um, endowed prizes and um, purchase uh, grants uh, to actually almost 24 out of the 35 artists exhibited. Um, uh, an exhibition focused on uh, living American artists um, of many styles, different styles, and um, seemingly no serious restriction of age, um, meaning, in fact, that many uh, artists um, of, of some maturity get to be included in exhibitions which are sometimes not so generous towards lesser-known artists of maturity. Um, downtown, in contrast, at the New Museum, the fourth um, triennial um, organized by the New Museum uh, focused on younger artists uh, from a global perspective. Uh, we may remember that the first in that series was the Younger Than Jesus show, uh, where no artist could be over the age of 33. Um, and um, where does the triennial fit with the thesis of, um, of money, uh, of economics? In the, um, in the thesis put forward by the exhibition's curators, um, in um, the thesis that these songs of sabotage, the exhibition at the Triennial, which is where we're going to uh, begin our conversation, actually. Songs of sabotage, the thesis of the exhibition can be summarized perhaps, as um, artists resisting global capitalism and the, the tribulations of uh, capitalism in crisis. Um, the curators um, in particular citing the work of the economist Guy Standing, um, who's reshaped notions of class um, following a kind of Marxist division, but talking about the... Um, Salariat and the precariat in place of the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. The precariat being um, the kind of lumpen end, perhaps, of the proletariat. Um, but the precariat being the precarious proletariat. Those people who are um, uh, who la who don't have the privileges of the security of um, 
a salary, a job description, a training that leads to a career, um, and um, the, the intangibles, the benefits, and the retirement plans, and so on and so forth, that come with a structured um, economic existence. Um, and people have to rely on freelance work um, and cobble together um, a pattern of career. Well, if that sounds familiar to people in this room, that might be because that's what most of us in the art world are doing already. And uh, oh, does that make us precarians, precariat, is proletarian, proletariat, precariat? I don't know how to go about that. But <laughs> members of the precariat. Does, does, does the model of a precariat make sense to um, artists? And, and I wonder if, in, in reality, um, the artists in this show um, are usefully described as precariat. Does that resonate with any of the panelists? Jessica, for instance? Hmm. Well, I'm thinking about, in terms of the triennial, um, Manuel Solana, I believe. Yes. Um, and taking upon the theme of sabotage as iterated in, um, by the curators and um, in the theories that they are, or theor theoreticians that they're um, citing, I'm thinking more about precarity of the body and precarity of um, being situated in a, in, as an artist and maker, um, being situated um, in ways that I think almost kind of perform that precarity. So Manuel Solana is um, an artist based in Mexico City who um, is positioned in the exhibition as um, a blind or legally blind um, trans painter. Um, and so there's a way in which, there's a way in which the, that positionality almost, I think, has blinded my approach to how to look and think about those works. Um, it sets up too many conditions for you to have a disinterested um, uh, enjoyment of the painting, sort of feeling guilty about not liking a blind trans person's paintings? Is not necessarily <laughs> feeling guilty about it. Right. I, think, I, I think the works in and of themselves are... Um, pleasurable things to look at and um they are um but but in a way i think kind of trapped by the curatorial framework that mm. that they're in and so yes. i guess what i mean by that is mm. how do you how do you not overdetermine um an artist's identity positions um right in this kind of and and their precarity like real precarity um um solana is also um was went blind because of complications due to aids and so and that the the curators don't shy away from really demonstrating that that mm -hmm. kind of um those very that very real positionality so in my sense, I think that was kind of like the, it was very hard for me to think about this show 
without um, wanting to trouble what we mean when we say sabotage, what we mean when we say precarity. Um, right. Yeah. Right. That was a very long-winded answer, but... No, it's a very... It's, uh, <laughs> I like the fact that it yeah. grounds us immediately in the, in the existential situation of a specific individual in the show. Um, possibly um, Solano, in this respect, is untypical in that most of the artists in the show are perhaps chosen for their ideological position rather than their existential one. But David, what did, what did the, the title of the show, um, Songs of Sabotage, how did that resonate with you and did it make sense of what we were looking at? Not particularly. Right. It's just one of those things that we have to learn to live with, the, the curatorial embrace. Mm -hmm. You try to look past it. Yes, yes. You, you hope to find some treasure despite the best efforts of those who've assembled what you're looking at. It's like the, uh, it's, I, I mean, I'm not a fan. I don't watch football, but if I did, I, I, I mean, I remember many years ago occasionally watching football game. You, you know, the, the way it's framed is intolerable. You can't bear it. But, but if you like the game, you have to kind of sit through the halftime and the, uh, it's the same. Mm. You know, there's, you just, we just live in that kind of world. All right. You know. So the, the curators are like cheerleaders or, or the, the, yeah, it's, yes. a, it's the, it's the commentators. It's the commentators, yeah. you know, the, the commentariat. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is a fairly, this is, a, this is a stridently curatorially determined selection, obviously, uh, Jared. Yeah. Is, you, am I loud enough? Yeah, yeah. just my, okay. Um, you know, I really, one of the things I don't like that um, we are obliged to do is complain about curatorial dynamics in a show instead of talking about the art. But with this show, it's really hard not to do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually thought that the nicest thing about the pairing between the Invitational and the Triennial was almost like two different experiences of what a group show can be. Mm -hmm. And really what you want is just a bunch of people who have invited their friends to put up work, and you mm -hmm. get to see it, and you like it, or you don't. You right. Know? And you really, I found with the Invitational, there was a kind of transparency mm. um, that you allowed you to really look at stuff. And so uh, inversely with this show, the, um, the language was so overdetermined. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted to stay, stay with uh, Manuel Solano for a minute because yes. I really mm -hmm. liked those paintings. I thought they were really, um, they felt really kind of urgent. As mm -hmm. in terms of their um, intention to communicate, mm -hmm. which is something that I think set them apart from the other paintings in the show. And this is without mm -hmm. the backstory, right? This yeah. is me walking through and being like, that's yeah. a different kind of painting. And yeah. I, I thought it was really beautiful. And then um, I looked at them a long time. I tried to do this with everything in the show where I would look at the work mm -hmm. and I would kind of read it. Mm -hmm. And then I would read the, um, mm -hmm. the absurdist, uh, short story wall labels, <laughs> some of which I brought with me tonight, which I will perform for you. Oh, great! Um, but I found with a piano, maybe. Yeah, we got we have someone who can play that. Mm. Um, but the first line of this of, of a wall label for Manuel Solano said, "Bridging personal and cultural memories, Manuel Solano's work proposes that the power of painting might manifest untethered from sight." I thought. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty glib thing, thing mm -hmm. to say 
about someone who's blind, you know, mm. and um, and I untethered from sight, yes. Well, the, yeah, the fact, yeah, they're visual things, mm. you yeah. know, they're not mm. communicating outside of sight through some yeah. kind of mag yeah. magnificent telepathy. Yeah. Also, um, he's legally blind. Uh, he's not absolutely not blind. Yeah, exactly. But it's yes. it's the uh, it's the uh, malaise of the the wall label writer because the the the. the, the, the person thinks that the job is to mediate between the viewer and the, you know, and it's, it's an impossible, untenable position to, no one's actually saying what is the case or, or conversely saying what they think. They're saying what they think you might think or what they want you to think. And it's, and it's, it's really a disaster. The whole thing is a disaster. But this, it's exhibition, gotten, it's really gotten out of hand. this exhibition more than most is, has, has an agenda, and it's, it is, to their credit, upfront about its agenda. Usually if you go to the Venice Biennale or even the Whitney Biennial, uh, the curators are charged with coming up with a fancy and plausible thesis as to why they're doing their show, mm. and they concoct something that's um, usually a bit pretentious, but fun, and maybe can work as a sort of umbrella to help connect some visual things that they put <coughs> together, but they'll, they'll be led visually. But here, the uh, the curators whose names I'm I Alex Gardenfeld, Alex Gardenfeld, and um, there's another woman. There's, yeah, there's a woman. Um, uh, they uh, they've arrived with a very fierce, somewhat ferocious political thesis, and um, even if the artists um, such as uh, Solano um, don't actually um, beat, the, beat the barrel of a political um, argument. Um, the curators are able to requisition yeah, that individual thanks yeah. to uh, their um, existential situation. Mm -hmm. um, right. No, so, yeah, so the, the artist is like a... A pawn. A, well, like I was going to say, I um, uh, ventriloquist dummy right. to whom the curator is speaking. The, the beautiful thing about this show, though, despite its curatorial... Um, I don't want to call them missteps, but I, but perhaps, well, oversteps. Uh, oversteps um, mm. Is that it? Even though this show desires to be the United Nations of mm. the global contemporary art world and its discontents, yeah. the artists seem to kind of triumph over the framework. To me, like many of these works, mm. are impressive and beautiful and alluring, despite how. Um, oppressive the labels can feel or the framework can feel. And, and indeed the raison d'etre of, of their having been selected because with literally the world to choose from, um, the artists have gathered, the, the curators have gathered artists who fit a thesis and it's a, it's a political, economic, social thesis, isn't it? I mean, the best paintings, oh God, that sounds even louder. Yeah, don't worry. The best paintings feel to me like they have, or artworks have nothing to do with the with the <clears throat> politics, and that's just as well. You know, it's Can like you tell me somebody I should put up. No, but you know, even that, even that painting we were just looking at. Well, we've, was... we've got to, in fairness, look at one of the other thirty-four okay. at this point. I think. <laughs> All right, what's the one with the with the the military officers on the? That's not a good. That's not good. Never mind. Military. On the roller coaster. Oh yes, that is by a Chinese gentleman by the name of. Uh, she, I believe. Um, well, no, what uh, about no, Tom? Um, Song, his name is Song. Okay. Yeah, but before I kind of go down that rabbit hole, what about Tom um, El Sayi? The... Uh, yes, sure. Because those paintings are terrific paintings, 
Um, and they have nothing to do with whatever the hell the show's about. And they're, in fact, a kind of respite of visual pleasure yes. in the exhibition. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was grateful. I think if you, you can't take this stuff too seriously. No, exactly. It's, it's, it's a, a I joke. Mean, we shouldn't actually talk about the, yeah. the wall text and Gardenfeld's thesis too much because it really, in a sense, has nothing to do with the work. You could, you could put a, a completely different or six completely different mm. uh, in, statements of intent and whatnot, and everything would fit just equally well or not well. It doesn't matter at all. Well, maybe that should be our project this evening, to recurate. Uh, the, the triangle <laughs> with exactly the same objects in exactly the same positions, but show that it's really about um, uh, epicurean um, uh, sexuality. And, and it could work, uh, um, no doubt. But that will be a sign of the strength of the work that's been selected and therefore to the credit of the curators, presumably. So but, I, I thought this was, I thought these were great paintings and um, I've known his, his paintings for a couple years by chance, and I, I thought they were immediately interesting when I saw them in a small uh, artist-run space in Miami a few years ago called, uh, it was at then called Gucci Breton, all one word, and then Louis Vuitton sent them a cease and desist, and then they changed it to Noguchi Breton, <laughs> and um, smart, South, working mm. on South Florida aesthetics. Mm. And um, so I saw these wonderful little strange paintings that were colorful and kind of vital, and they almost had that thing uh, sort of like the last painter that we looked at, which was almost like maybe this is an outsider artist, like maybe this is like a wacko in their garage. And then I think <coughs> for, subsequent to that, he ended up going to graduate school and, and now they look like they're ready for showtime. Mm. But I, I don't think that they lost anything in that transformation, which I often feel. I, I thought that they were really interesting and they, they kind of reactivated some kinds of mid-century abstraction all over pictures that I was excited to see. The artist is of Palestinian Haitian descent. Mm -hmm. um, it looked to me like a bit of uh, Jules Zelitsky meets Nietzsche. And but, you know uh, what? Jules Zelitsky may be an artist that we might look back a little more charitably because honestly, I saw one the other day in someone's house and I thought, that looks good. I know I'm supposed to hate this. I know I'm supposed to think these people were evil and we were glad we triumphed over them like St. George and the Dragon. But I'll tell you what, it looked good and this looked good. Right, okay. Not all of us are as, quite as pathologically anti-formalist as uh, Jarrett, but uh, uh, it's, it's good to know that one can be blinded on the road to uh, not Damascus, but uh, Bennington, I guess. Um, um, It's, it's tempting, David, to go the route of just saying, oh, these curators are pretentious and ridiculous. And well, I can hear you, David. Say it again. Oh, it's tempting to go the route that I, I hear from you of, of concluding that the curatorial project is tendentious and pretentious and just enjoying the work as work. But I wonder how we would really actually usefully go about that. I mean, this is um, a curated exhibition. Well, we're we're, it has a we're free individuals. We, you know, it's a, we, we, we can, are. I think we can do we that. We can misread things if we like. Um, <laughs> but, but we also have some responsibility to maybe grapple a little harder with what the show is trying to convey and whether um, it has some use for um, taking the temperature of global young well, art. I, well, I just think, personally, yes. I'm not a curator, but the idea that someone could speak for how many artists from the show? Oh, I think there's two things. There's thirty. Uh, there's twenty-four. But I think there's um, two different things at play here. One is 
um, speak the, the mediation that's provided by wall labels or catalogues, and, and that's certainly part of the curatorial project, but um, is also a kind of museological thing. It's something that you know, uh, um, educators are responsible for doing, um, and so isn't necessarily the, the be-all and end-all of curating, but the, the, the essence of the curating, surely, is the selection I mean, of, 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 the, of the millions of artists that could have been selected this right, so, but, but let's for a reason. We can't assume anything about those criteria. Or what they might have said the criteria were might only have a you know glancing bearing on what the what the real criteria are. So let's just ignore it. I mean, I, I, there's no there's no way to know what. But David, what really surprised or touched you in the show? I'm sorry. What surprised or touched you in the show? Well, I there, there was quite a lot of work. I thought was good and well-resolved, interesting. It was, I'd say it was all new to me. I didn't know a hmm. single artist right. before going into the, to the museum. So that was, you know, it's always fun. Um, I'm more, I, I'm less inclined to spend the requisite amount of time with the video, with the time-based art, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm not prepared to talk about that. But sure. uh, there was quite a lot of interesting painting, two-dimensional art, which, which I could see is kind of trying to find a um, thematic, I mean, it's on such, such old school formalism that people mm. might groan, but, but it's, why should we think that it's not still operative, trying to find some reciprocity between form and content, between form right. and wave painting and what you're painting and how it, its images arrived at or non-images arrived at and what it might, other resonances it might have, um, you know, as, the, as it ripples outward. So there was, you know, nice variety, a nice range. And anybody, know. any name or, or type of, or, or if you describe the work, anybody that sticks out in your mind? I have to consult my phone. Yes, I, I of course. We will do these things. But, but yeah. Um, but anyway, that, that uh, artist from Oakland, who I... I oh, Geneva I Ellis. Geneva Ellis. Geneva Ellis. Ah, yes. Was, for me, the showstopper. Mm. Ah. And you could say, well, it's the most conventionally art-like and most kind of resolved. <laughs> You said New York School painting. Someone said New York School painting. Yes. Thrill um, issues from 2017. But it's, it's um, go back one, David. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, this is not to say the end all and be all of criteria, but the painting has a freshness, that we, that, mm. uh, which is the result of, I think, whatever the image is or isn't, it was arrived at in the making. Yes. And that's... Again, not maybe not everyone's criteria, but it's different from the other two paintings that flanked it, which felt right. more programmatic, something designed in advance and then executed. This is kind of tighter, more illustrational, and maybe more referential. But the one in the middle feels like um, could have gone this way, could have gone that way. She reined it in, and maybe at the last minute, maybe it was always meant to look like that. It's uh, it's how to put it. It's not. It's it's not overtaken by its imagery. It's 
It's comfortable inhabiting its energy or imagery or arriving at its imagery. The imagery is in a in a in a productive uh, relationship to uh, the way it's painted, the color of all that kind of formal stuff. This, there's a the, the arm of the of the figure on the right side of the painting is sort of smushed and and you know pretty. Uh, it's a different vocabulary than anything else in, the, in any of the three paintings. But it was impressive, impressive scale, impressive uh, yeah. kind of dramatic depiction of whatever it's depicting. I love the way that orange and pink uh, yeah. work together like the colors of Haight-Ashbury yes. posters in 1967. Mm. It's just a damn good pic picture. Yes, yeah. Um, do you know something about the artist, uh, Jessica? I know she's based in California, and that she is drawing upon cartoons and um, thinking about blackness, I think, as an abstraction, but through the figurative mode. So this idea of how do we approach um, black pain, black trauma, um, and, and make it into an abstraction, um, something that's not necessarily ascertainable, I think, or I think something that we can possess. Um, when I look at her work, I think about Robert Colescott. Yes, um, he's, he's all over this painting. Yeah, he's all over this painting. Yeah, but in a good way, I think. Absolutely. In a productive way. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, if you look at Robert Colescott, has a show at Blub and Poe in LA up right now. And if you look at some of those images and look at these paintings, I mean, those were made in the 80s. These were made um, last year. And it's just crazy to think about the resonances between, between um, their work. Um, but I'm also thinking about a, a wave of artists now who um, are unabashedly approaching painting, approaching the figure, yes. um, approaching the body. Um, Christina Corals, another, another artist, um, this work is just very rich to me, and, and it's 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 conversant with the history of painting, with the history of um, of of thinking about black representation. But also, there's something kind of raw about it. There's something raw, super but also contemporary actually there's something now. quite cooked about it, because that <laughs> unlike or rather cultivated uh, cultured about it, in that um, um, uh, Colescott, uh, I think of his painterliness, his humor, um, and, but also the, the kind of stridency of um, um, the, the, the pictorial narrative. Um, and I, I think in, uh, in her paintings, um, there is more of, I don't want to say formalism, but um, there's more ambivalence or ambiguity as to what, who these pe personages are, what they might really be doing, what it might be about. Well, I think it's a difference between uh, temperature. Um, I th between for temperature. temperature. Oh. Uh, for me, Colescott is an American national treasure. He's one of the most chronically underappreciated artists of, uh, that we have, and I love his work. And I really like these paintings, too. I appreciated what you both said about them. Um, to me, these feel like the second hand of the contemporary. This, to me, looks exactly like the kinds of paintings that a lot of people who are my age are trying to make. Mm. And she made them beautifully. And it is a kind yeah, of... Yeah, she, she did it better. 
She do does it better. Well, you know, she does it in a particular way that people will like. <laughs> and uh, that means that to me, they're, um, there's a coolness to them in person, into the execution and the surface that people love cold. I mean, look at Laura Owens, look at your paintings. They love a cold painting. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think she's, I think she's a wonderful painter. I actually weirdly want to imagine, like I want to see how they look in 10 years, you know, because to me they look so right now, they look like the best version of a whole Host, I saw earlier you talked about Jamie and Giuliano Villani's paintings, and mm. you mentioned Christina Quarles, and there's a, a whole um, question of how to bring in quotational imagery into a kind of um, blurred figure ground kind of relationship that um, that these these are perfect for, you know, because these are clearly citations from different things like in quotation marks but somehow the quotation marks have also kind of dissolved which i think is the major difference between mm -hmm. like 80s appropriation art and what's happening now with the, with the internet is that it's it's all borrowed but the like the fact that it's like a quote is not in quotes right it's just like mm, were you, were this you, is my life you have to build a compositional structure whether it's whether quotes are visible or not yeah, that's the, that's the hard part. I mean, people talk about quotes and appropriation, as if that's the whole process. That's just the very beginning of the process. She, mm. I mean, she's built a really nifty structure, and that a lot of different things can happen. And these things happen in, in it here in this picture. But that's the art part. The the the, mm. the borrowing part is the easy part. Yeah, it's like choosing your colors, or um, it, but within the iconographic range rather than the... But that's a formalist way of reading iconography, of course. Um, I don't know how to put this diplomatically, so maybe I'll just plunge in and say um, that the American artists are predominantly artists of color. That's um, a, within a, a global perspective that... Mm. Um, privileges the non-European. So it's a very much um, um, a show of color, uh, of, of persons of color, to fit uh, perhaps the politics and, and, and ideology of, of the curators. Um, do, we, um, do we deal with that or do we just um, enjoy what these individuals are doing? What, where, where do we go with that issue? Anybody? feel obliged to, um, I mean, we're, we're, we're at a stage where... But David, aren't they all individuals? I mean, I don't... Of course, all individuals I mean, individuals. I think it's, it's just, you have to go down the list, artist by artist. There's no, there's no one answer. No, no. Uh, uh, no, the, the question is back to the curators. Um, it, it's a, is it a principal decision to... Um, is there, is there a, a particular value or meaning to um, uh, privileging artists of color in an exhibition of this nature? Is it, is it a good thing for artists of color or does it uh, in, a, in a funny way sort of designate being an artist of color to being in a show with a, a leftist ideological drive behind it? Can that actually um, backfire? If for people who want no, to see a more balanced, I, healthy I don't, I don't representation so. of different peoples in, in exhibitions in general. 
it's not encyclopedic. It's just 30-some artists. I agree, David. And I also think that, um, well, the names, I think there are six American artists. Yeah. I, the names, I, I know Matthew Harrison, Diamond Stingley, Wilmer Wilson, um, and then there was another artist who... Wilma Wilson the Fourth. Yes, and there was another artist who um, created the sculpture out of seaweed, I believe. Ah, uh, yes. Was, right, I, can't, I don't remember Denison. her name. Is it Catherine Dennison? Dennison from, from Connecticut. I remember from that. Connecticut. <laughs> yes. From the Connecticut uh, Dennisons. Co- <laughs> right. Um, and then the other two Americans are escaping me. But, uh, you know, I think we... I think to their credit... Yeah. The artists of color, well, most of the artists in this show are artists of color, mm-hmm. regardless of, of uh, whether they're from the U.S. or not. But um, I, I think that there's a way in which they allied the curatorial positioning. Their work allied. So like in the case of Matthew, Wilmer, and Diamond. Um, it it, it out- outlies, are you saying? I think they kind of escape yeah. that. Yeah. Like there's a way in which the show wants to call out state violence. They want to call out regimes, um, but they don't do that with these artists, these three artists, Wilmer, Diamond, and... Um, mm. So what you're saying, oh, David, is that, is that Geni- the, the curators well. were actually good curators in, insofar as they picked good artists, but yeah. they should have just shut up. <laughs> well, to yes. me, this question didn't occur to me in this show, but I d- it did occur to me in the Invitational because I thought... All the art that I like the best here happens to be made by black artists. Right. And I think that there is something to be said for having a kind of intention or subject matter that um, matters to you in your art and that you are trying to uh, bring forward through an artwork that it's different than, you know, a kind of certain kind of abstract painting at the moment that I just, I don't feel anything from. So mm-hmm. I think that, I don't know, I think we have a lot of really amazing black artists. And that's what I felt when I was at the Invitational show. I was just like, this is good, this is good, this is good. Yeah, yeah. Just, I don't know. I thought it was more stark in the Invitational than it was here, but it was mainly just about thinking the work was good. Right, yeah. Um, I wonder what people did make of um, Wilmer Wilson. Uh, He's somebody I wrote about years ago because I loved his performance at NADA about 10 years ago um, where he walked around almost naked, um, slowly kind of um, uh, embalming himself with gold leaf. And it came out of a series of performances, one using postage stamps um, in which the artist's um, body um, becomes covered in a symbolic and significant way. Here he's using uh, tens of thousands of staples, which the uh, uh, rather laborious wall text was at pains to tell us were applied one by one, Um, (laughs) which didn't endear me that much to the artist, but uh, didn't didn't, uh, help me, didn't add any layer really to the the work. Um, What did we think of these as as images? are they driven by their um, unusual technique? Um, are they, uh, are they uh, works that resonate in a particular way with the staples? Anyone want to jump in on, on, um, on Wilson? I've been following his work for several years now. Um, 
and it's just exciting to see him getting some some attention. I'll just say that right off the bat. Yes. Um, I had a conversation in the show with Roxana Marcochi at um, the the chief curator of photography at um, at MoMA, and we were debating what like how to think about these works as mm. photographs mm. Um, because they actually start with Wilmer taking taking detritus posters, um, flyers, re-photographing them, blowing them up, um, and then attaching them to plywood, and then uh, applying these, you know, the, the staple adornments to them. And so what does it mean to think about them, their pictorial photographic function? Um, so that's something that I've been chewing on a lot when I think about these works. Yeah, they're beautiful and shiny, and <laughs> but I think conceptually really um, interesting and strong um, statements about where the medium can go. But is, would this, David, be an instance of that meeting of form and content that you insist upon, or is, this, is it perhaps actually a case where... I, I, don't, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I felt in those early performances that I was pleased to have seen that, that there was this really perfect embodiment, literally, of um, a, a conceptually significant process and, and, and being there. Um, and I would need to spend more time with these to allow a similar magic to unfold. It didn't, unfortunately, bounce out at me. Um, yeah, well, um, let's see who we've... Uh, Stingley as an, another American has been mentioned. This is this rather menacing, uh, it's on the same floor, obviously, as the uh, Wilsons, uh, these rather menacing, um, un unplayful, um, scaffold um, uh, playgrounds. Um, uh, here it's seen with the Scandinavian artist um, um, whose name I'd have to look up. Um, Anybody want to jump in on, on him? I'm sorry to turn uh, to you. On Diamond? Or? Diamond, yeah. Oh, um, she, I, I love her work, and I was kind of sad to see it disappear in this show. Like, I, when you mm. walk on the fourth, I think this is the fourth floor. It is, yes. And it just completely disappears to me. Um, With all the metal that's going on. And also drowned out by the Greek video um, by... Um, uh, Lemos, uh, is that just... Every, every floor had a something audio component mm -hmm. that was mm. either challenging or wonderful, depending on your point of view. But it, made, yeah, it definitely made some things uh, had to fight their way to the t surface. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <coughs> the, 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 the video I was referring to is um, um, definitely by somebody called Lemos. Um, uh, come on. What's your first, last name, first name? Um, here we are. Manolis, Manolis Lemos. Mm -hmm. um, and it's almost um, the poster child for the exhibition uh, because of yeah. its concern with the precariat is that, um, you know, Greece with its uh, economic troubles and it's um, the allure of the far right and of the far left and the, the artist um, 
has put these paintings on the backs of these uh, youths who then run through the streets of Athens. Uh, Dusk and dawn look just the same. Riot tourism is the name of the video. And um, um, it seemed to be almost a video made to illustrate um, Guy Standing's thesis that the, uh, the precariat has three ideological divisions. Uh, the, um, the atavists who look for a Trump or a fascist kind of um, uh, leader, um, the um, nostalgists who think that the good old jobs will come back eventually, and the progressives as the, the young class of the, who, who, who are not tempted by either of those pitfalls and are the, what standing sees as the, uh, the hope for the future. How does it illustrate that? Well, it illustrates it because um, dawn and dusk uh, uh, look the same on the backs of these youths, and we don't know whether they are uh, part of the Golden Dawn, uh, which is a sort of Greek fascist organization, or part of a kind of young socialist uh, or anarchist riot, or they could just be kids who are um, having fun with an artist and, and taking part in a sort of cultish thing. You know, I think that when you asked us if we could, like, in real time, like, recurate the show about something totally different with the same objects, yeah. to me, this video has nothing to do with anything that you just said or with what the curator said it's about. And in fact, if you wiped away all of the language and you just watched it as an image, yeah. um, you can see the profound kind of ambiguity and, and um, openness of it. It's like... Doesn't it doesn't look it, because of the nature of the video grain and the light? It doesn't look Greek actually. The way that in a movie, if you're like in Greece, it would be color corrected for a certain kind of light, and you would have a certain kind of setting. It's very it's very um, not legible here what they're non, doing. Very non Greek lighting. Yeah, it's very non Greek, if you will. In terms of Greek Gre Greece and the in, in in the popular imagination. Yes. But this, when I saw this, it took me back. You were to, like, I'm in Greece. I'm in Athens. I'm one of these kids. I was just there. It is just that gritty, dark, or at least oh. the city center. It To me, it resonated quite. But then the difference between like the painting on the back signifying a dawn, like I think that's hard to imagine. It's at best legible as like a red and a blue. Mm. And I don't know. And then they, there are people who run down the street and then they, some of them disappear and then some of them run into the center and there's no conclusion. That's the narrative. So does that mean that that's like an economic or political statement? I don't know. All I'm saying is that the, for, the object itself can move in very different directions than whatever this language is about. Yes. And I don't think that language itself is particularly interesting. As an illustration, it's terrible. As a video, it might be kind of great. I, I feel that the creators deserve a little more credit. First of all, for having assembled artists who don't um, dogmatically illustrate their thesis, but second of all, for having a thesis. And, and so um, I, I would give them a little more credit. Um, give who, the artists? Curators. 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 Okay. Um, well, obviously I'd be giving them even more credit if I, I remember their names. I don't but, know if um, I would give them any credit. <laughs> I, it, it, it's a really, um, I, I don't know, I have no idea what the intention uh, of the, behind the look of the video is, but it, it looks awful, it looks really, um, Oh, well, it's like better when it's moving, in fairness, so much. video tends well, to be. I, I, I looked yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah, you're moving. In terms of the, yeah. qual the quality yeah, of the video? Yeah, this, this is a, as a video work, mm -hmm. not fulfilling its, 
potential. It's not really a video. It's a performance that was videoed, isn't okay. it? Yeah, but well, it's like else. a Franz Erhard Walter performance. It's a gesture. Yeah. You could imagine it being treated purely formally as conceptual art. They said, assemble 30 people, have them wear a t-shirt, half red, half black, or half blue, run down the street until the, until the end of the street. You know, that is the, that's the structural logic of a 70s performance art piece. And that's what it looks like. I assumed that the degraded, the degraded video not only evoked that period of video, but also availed itself to a kind of like agitprop cell phone video, amateur. Um, but at the same time, uh, if you see uh, 30 people who've been press ganged into wearing the same uniform and you are in a country that has a history of fascism and uh, where society is currently galvanized between extremes of left and right um, and where there is something anarchic and a bit ominous and disturbing about the music that goes with it, I don't think it's overly reading the image to see it as somehow uh, an epitome of the precariousness and the dissolution and the mess of the world that uh, you're, the, it's that the just, show just is reading, about. You're just reading in so much to what is a, a really lackluster production. It's just, I mean, <laughs> it's it just this, the version of this, there's a much better version of this that exists somewhere that yeah. hasn't been made yet. Yeah. I, I, to me, it just seems incredibly hmm. lazy and un, unresolved, uncommitted to its own, whatever its themes are or aren't. Yeah. It's, it's pretty um, thin stuff, no? It's, it's not, uh, it's not um, I don't know. a Renoir movie, but yeah, of course. I feel like it's, you know, maybe because of my, again, my, my personal experience of being yeah. in Athens to see Documenta and having these, these expectations of mm. Um, mm. grandeur and being confronted immediately with its grit with its um, with its um, its stench with with its lackluster mm. it, like Athens it was crum- literally city. it yes. was it was crumbling mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and and to see that kind of to see the the contemporary art world descend upon this place that's that's that has yet to recover it's been ten years since. It's the onset of its economic or more recent economic crisis. Yeah. Um, that was very palpable to me in terms of what this video elicited, um, just purely like formally. Um, but not everything can be successful. It sounds like yeah. it wasn't successful. Well, to that point, <laughs> as a kind of bridge, like to your, to your point, and as a kind of bridge to the to the next co- exhibition that we're talking about. Yeah, I think both of those exhibitions, as both surveys, to me, uh, displayed something that was like part of as symptoms of the state of art discourse right now or art criticism itself Mm. in which all of these things not only don't look alike they are just simply not the same like the way the Mm. reason that people made them what they hope to achieve by making them the histories that they're mobilizing through making them both in their their own Mm -hmm. social situation but also the artistic ones are all different and so I think that in that sense it is a disservice to to put them all together and act like they're the same and then for us as art critics to sit together and and talk about them as though we have some visible shared yeah yeah. Yeah. and and so in that sense I think that there really isn't 
a metacritical position from which anyone is able to get a handle on what any that that kind of diversity within contemporary art right now mm. in a way that's almost kind of shocking and without that kind of architecture uh, discursive architecture artists can't refine and sharpen the, what they're doing because it's that vital link to how it's communicating with its audience is not being attended to and so i found like um the prospect of what we're doing right now as an impossible one you know i felt like the idea that we're going to look at these 60 artists and then we're going to get together and talk about them as though they're all one thing and we're all equipped to deal with them in the same way i i, I thought was sort of a sham and um you know that's the sham upon which the contemporary art world is functioning right now but i think these two this moment for me was really a moment in which i felt like it was an untenable one for very much longer which means we have to go back to very basic conversations and very specific discussions yeah. about the artwork but, and its well the problem with the art world is there there are i, I was in a uh i don't ask me why i was there but i, I was in a uh a, a, Yale graduate um, review for the architecture school. Yeah, uh, I was the token artist, and you know, ar architects are famously argumentative amongst themselves. Uh, I, I, mean, I can't remember what was being discussed, but at one point, uh, I, I, I don't know who it was Frank Gehry. Somebody said, um, "Okay, let's go back. Maybe Peter Eisenman. Let's go back to first principles." Because there was just you know, no agreement, to which you know someone inevitably said, "Well, what are the first? Are there?" But there are no first principles in art. None. We have none. So I don't know what you do with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's to bridge to bridge these points. I think um, how, it, we, we are arriving at this question as to how do you faithfully um, and diligently um, do justice to work as a critic when context is mm -hmm. either abstracted or yeah. um, like deeply, deeply limited. Um, well, and I, yeah, I think but a, there are no survey exhibitions to... have their own um, rationale and therefore criticism of them has to have its own uh, ethic. And, and that, um, uh, sure, it'd be tempting just to say, okay, these are the individuals that I discovered in this exhibition whose work I really want to see more of mm -hmm. uh, and who maybe even change the way I think about things. That's, that's lovely, and uh, any decent exhibition should do a bit of that. But for all the expense and rigmarole of putting on a triennial or a biennial or even an, uh, even an annual, mm -hmm. um, there has to be the sum has to be greater than the indiv individual parts at, at some at some level, um, not an aesthetic level one wouldn't expect, but at some kind of um, intellectual or um, uh, cultural level, mm -hmm. it would have to supply something to be worth the effort. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, so I think as critics we have to be flexible enough to be able to put. Um, on the back burner, our aesthetic agendas, and and just say, okay, um, what is this show saying? And to criticize the 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 actual show the, as as a as a bigger entity. Now, 
ideologically driven, as I said before. Many of the artists from uh, third world countries um, are, are very much concerned with um, issues of landlessness um, and uh, dispossession and um, uh, indigenous uh, exclusions. Um, and that gives the um, show a little bit of a period feel for me. And it seems to... A period uh, feel. Period, yes. Oh. It sort of goes back to where um, kind of rather worthy internationalist exhibitions might have been in the 1950s or 60s, um, drawing attention to almost almost the sort of thing you would expect more to see in an anthropolog uh, anthropologically oriented museum than, a, than an art museum. You know what I mean? Well, I, there are only so many ideas yes. <laughs> at any given time, David. Yeah, there's this artist um, um, whose name is uh, Chian David, a Filipino artist, I believe. And then there's the, um, the, the sculptures that we were uh, by the um, Peruvian artist. Uh, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Daniela Ortiz. Um, would uh, um, Daniela Ortiz did the minute, yeah. the, yeah. the maquettes yeah. of yeah. monuments mm -hmm. and and yeah. um, Paula, the um, artist uh, uh, Dalton Paula, the Brazilian artist uh, concerned with the history of slavery. Um, these are uh, what they are, um, and. Um, then the Indian artist um, Anapan Roy, uh, Surfaces of the Irreal. I mean, um, this work is just worth pondering for a moment. I mean, um, the, the language is kind of familiar from, say, uh, Sue Ko or even um, um, uh, uh, Golub, or, 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 although um, Sue Ko might be more apropos. Um, or, um, but it's uh, it's very much for a throwback, isn't it, to see a room like this as a contemporary art expression by a young artist? It seems. Um, um, well, I I think that given the fact it's such a delight to get to see work that you've never seen before, people you've never heard of from mm. all over the world, and you think, ah, oh, maybe I'll go discover something. Mm. But the problem is that because the, the curatorial conceit is so overpowering, it's like an unreliable narrator in a story. You can't trust what they're telling you about the work. And because so much of it is context dependent and you don't have the context, so then you're, you're being provided the context by the curators and the things that you can understand that they're saying are clearly laughable. Like for instance, the video by Song Ta, Yes. In which it's called, Who is the Loveliest Guy? Mm. Um, and the video itself is like a bunch of Navy officers who get put on a roller coaster. Um, and then this is part, I'm gonna, just going to read a section of, of the description. So it just it's the three-channel video of them going up and down on a roller coaster. And whatever you think about that video, this is what the, uh -huh. what the wall te mm. text says. The masculine power attributed to the Navy and military professions is literally thrown for a loop, turned upside down, and in an attempt to trouble the gendered implications of this line of work, 
Song further emphasizes the absurdity of the situation by soundtracking it with a selection of the opera Carmen, a score that classically indicates mass chaos. The subtle change from stoic concentration to relieved contentment is affirmed by the officer's collective clapping at the ride's end. Song's meticulously designed situation reveals glimpses of vulnerability among those meant to uphold and represent the ruling institution who are otherwise seen as sacrosanct members of a higher political authority. That's that's just parody. This is... This is parody, right? Except for like, this actually is an artwork in itself. It's just not that artwork. Yeah, no, it's a a very kind of diamond hard parody that you couldn't couldn't crack it. It's really Mm. wonderful. (laughs) Exactly. But like, so when that is the, when, when it's actually beyond parody. Do you think the artist wrote it? Oh, no. no, That's the curatorial voice. I'm not so sure. No, no, I'm pretty confident. I think that that is them. I think that is the conceit. And when that is the the nature of the institutional voice, which is beyond parodic, you couldn't you couldn't make something stupider than that if you were trying to make fun of it. But it's also written in this it's language. Like Trump. Which is, it's the Trump of the art oh, no, Trump no, language no. of the art world. It's like oh, you can't no, 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 parody no, 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 no. this. I don't know if it's, Trump is that verbose. Trump, Trump hasn't got 90% of those words in his vocabulary. No, no, Sorry, no, I made a mistake. No. I take it back. The, the equivalent relationship to what is the case that you can say anything about anything. That's the message. I, I, I'm, I'm academically trained, and I kind of know what the curators are saying. I think it's pretentious crap. But nonetheless, they're saying it. What's interesting to me is that the people who are charged with mediating between the average museum-goer and what's already quite hermetically aloof and interesting work come up with a kind of prose that that's inflected with all the kind of pretentious, critical theories, sub-sociological jargon, um, why do they do it? I don't understand. If their job is to mediate, they should do it. They should, uh, they should make things... They should, be, they should risk dumbing down, um, or they should just keep the label... Well, I'm sure, I'm the, sure, it's, I'm sure it's part of a bigger system yeah. of grant, blah, 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 you know, the language of grant. I mean, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's an ingrained, internalized... But it's also, something to with the, it's also something to do with the left, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I consider myself a nice liberal, but the far left likes to smother and overwhelm with clever technical language. I mean, you look at Marx. It's pretty long, boring stuff. And that sets the tone. And I think that there's a very... The, the, the ideology of this show, the, the heavy-handed politics of this show, um, comes out in the, in the approach of writing these labels. Because I think, generally speaking, labels are getting a bit better in most mainstream museums. This is really a reversion to the worst, isn't it? I think this is a chronic new museum problem, though. Like, their wall labels have always been too long, too jargony. Um, they, t- they take their mission too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> right. And okay. so maybe there's a leftist hiding in the museum education department, but mm. it seems as but though that's but, the general ethos. But it's every museum. Though. Yeah. It's, 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 pretty, uh, it's a universal... No, but if you go to the Met, I mean, the labels oh, are nicely I, written. Sorry, I just, hmm? I came, for, I was at the Guggenheim on the Sunday. Those, those take the cake, actually. The Guggenheim? Right. But, yeah. and then here we are, and we're talking about art, and then I, the only thing that really bothers me about it is that we have to spend time talking about yeah, curating exactly. instead of talking on. about the art. Yeah. And, okay. you know, I actually, the video... What about the art, then? The video that I really liked was um, Poe... 
Ping, Wong Ping. Oh, yeah, I loved it. He <laughs> it was, was the best. I thought that was terrific. The fables. Yeah, right. I hope maybe we could talk about it. I don't know if either of you had well, something to say. Well, we're going to wrap up this triennial uh, pretty soon, otherwise we will we are not have time to do any justice to the Invitational or hear from the audience. Okay. In fact, we're a little behind time. Okay, well... But tell me one thing you loved about Ping. Um, Wong. You know, it was like Kafka for our moment, which means it's <laughs> stupid. Right. You know, it's wor- it's it's not in, it's yeah. it's actually uh, been deracinated of everything um, smart. But I I think that it was beautiful and and sort of mm. painful. I think it, there was something really kind of dark there um, in the parables. Okay, done. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Now is the moment where we turn on the lights and we ask our audience to oh, no. give us some feedback on what we're missing about the the, the we're, precariat. We're, yeah, right. I thought we did that at the end. No, we at do it twice. Between. We do it twice. We do it first for the uh, <coughs> triennial uh-huh. and ultimately for, if there's the mood for it, for the invitational. So there's a, a mic going round. Um, I beg of you, don't ask us a question that demands a long answer. In fact, questions are not really... <laughs> One word answer is preferable. Questions are, are, are prohibited. Uh, yes or no, maybes. Share, share uh, an opinion, an insight, uh, but do not ask a question. And I'll preemptively apologize for David. Marx was a terrific writer. If he wasn't, we wouldn't be in this situation. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a parody. If he, if, that's a paradox. If he was a... No, we got a question somewhere. Okay. Yes, question. Uh, I was wondering if each of you could provide a... Um... No, the answer is no. Didn't you hear me say <laughs> okay. no questions, especially ones that take time? So no, no, as soon as you say, can each of us provide, that's, David, that's, that's, so, that's uh, a no, that's so I'm afraid. <laughs> a counterfactual Make to a your universal you dislike think. of curatorial efforts. Can you each of you name one show where the show was greater than the sum of its parts? Oh, I think the Like Life show at the Met is like that right now. That is... As a group, you really see, st- you learn stuff from thing to thing that's more than seeing any of them on their own. And there's some good work and there's some bad work, and I think every show should have a healthy mix. Excellent. We all, we all agree with that. Good. <laughs> some, some responses, some feedback from the triennial, something we might have missed about the triennial or particular individuals within that show, uh, any kind of gripes about the way exhibitions are packaged these days. Yes, we have a comment from here. Hi. Um, I was curious how you guys felt about, or did you like the uh, most recent Whitney Biennial? Because that also had a very political tilt to all of its wall text, or most of it, and the works. Yeah. Um, well, I think that that mm-hmm. is, in a way, the elephant in the room. I mean, the, the, the Whitney Biennial stirred kicked so many hornet's nests and um, um, was a show of obviously of American artists um, um, that um, um, hit upon themes that also recur in the triennial um, and it's a it is a very good question and um, um, here am I taking a question having said I won't take any questions but um, it can be a, a no I think I think uh, would anybody, would any of my panelists care to say whether they feel that the um, the biennial um, offers any kind of riposte to the triennial, or whether it provided um, uh, a blueprint for the triennial? 
I felt like there was the same problem and that like the same problem of every big show, which is like some work that's good and some work that's not good and you just get to see some. I mean, I really don't know. I don't have to answer that. I'm sorry. Uh, Jessica was on the panel here that discussed the uh, yeah. biennial with uh, Raag Vartanian and uh, uh, Walter Robinson. Mm -hmm. um, so having, we, we throw you in the deep end. You I mean, I mean the, 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 the problem with these exhibitions is the problem of art either I'm not sure which. It's either shrunk down to a little node, or it's blown up to um, four-dimensional scale. The problem is, what the hell does art communicate in the first place? And more, even maybe more importantly, how do you know? So, and who's it all for? of these shows mm. are under the pressure mm. to respond to what is perceived to be the present moment to make something that feels relevant and blah. And it's a hell of a lot of pressure. And some people do it better than others. Some people do it with more grace, more wit, more style than others. But it's, uh, it's a tall order. It's always been a tall order in history. Mm. Uh, it has never really worked that well. There have been certain agreements around certain things, or certain agreements to agree around certain things, certain times, generally around a more homogeneous cultural uh, context, 19th century France, for example. But today, within the absence of that, good luck. Mm. And the curator's job is, you know, maybe it's impossible and maybe we're asking too much of these shows, but it's no, it seems for whatever reason, forever much longer this will continue, that to simply say, oh, I like the 70% of the works in the show, or I like 30%, that's considered to be an insufficient response. Mm. It has to be more, how does this, what does this tell us about now? now? You know, it's asking a lot. Yes, it is, it is. Not well, to say it doesn't happen or can't oh, happen. Suddenly a flurry of hands, yes. <laughs> Comments, please, Jared, I, I beg of you. question about something oh, question. you said. Okay, thank you. Sorry. Make you a comment. Saying, Turn the question into a comment. So many people who go to panels, about, they just okay. throw a question mark at the end of a statement. Leave off the question mark. Okay. Tell us the, something. The, the thing you were referring to about quotations in the current YouTube generation, is that related to, did you mean that that's sort of um, about the way things are fragmented now? Um, you know, I don't know what I meant by that, to be honest. I just said it. And um, I never <laughs> thought about it before. But... Um, no, I think that there is a kind of painting that's being made now that's pieced together from a lot of other images. And it's not the first time those paintings have been made, but they have a different, you know, for you know, a long time. But what's happening now is happening kind of on a different scale, and it has a different kind of visual and emotional register than was happening before. And um, f I was trying to understand why that is. I think that David's generation was really brilliant in under, unpacking, David in particular in his writing and his painting, in unpacking the um, psychological and emotional way that images enter our lives through media and daily consumption and how they then reemerge in art. Um, I think that it's almost like an evolutionary process with the way that the internet and media has integrated into our lives that it's even more seamless than before. Okay. I don't know if that's... All right. Thank all you. right. Thank you very much. 
I, I'm willing to Are take. Are we here I'm to talk to take, about stuff? No, but that, but that was really interesting. It I mean, is the, interesting. The, uh, it's the, 20 um, past two minutes past the hour, and we're, we're out of here in 38 minutes. Okay. And we have another 60 artists to talk about. That's the only thing. Um, but I will take comments. I beg of you, not questions. But why, David, why not? The questions are interesting. Because right? it's the time. Look at. The but but well, you're tasting, taking so much time with your kind of, um, you know, inter, I'm, inter, I'm a, inter, I'm interlocutor. A, I'm a terrible. Role. Just you be quiet. Okay. Let other people talk. Okay. <laughs> great. Yes, Queen. Yes. Was that uh, going to these both these shows and a lot of other group shows? It, I think it's terrific that they show five or six works by each other. There was a time when you'd go to a group show and there'd be one work by each person you hadn't heard of half the people. Nice chance to get to see what the sensibility is. Fantastic. Thank you. That's a very good point. I agree with it. Pass the mic back to you a couple of rows, if you would. Um, Marjorie, thank you. And it would be a comment, not a question, please. Yeah. This is a comment. <laughs> um, so... I wasn't totally sure if by like labeling some of the works that were addressing specific social issues, when you said period, if you meant sort of like antiquated or like past, but I just wanted to, if so, then I wanted to disagree with the suggestion that um, addressing issues of like colonization and work and stuff is um, sort of old or from, from another time because colonization is still happening and things like that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'll pass it back then to, uh, to the, yeah, and that'll be our that's, last. I think that's very right about colonization and others. I think the shows explore a, a numerous subjectivities and subject positions of which there are so many in the world today that it might be hard to get a handle on them. So there's these polarity, plurality or plural, a great many different kind of subjectivities and experiences in the world that are global. And it, it's hard to get, maybe if you look at the curatorial statement as an artwork in itself and the artworks running parallel to it, I think it's, it's a profusion of different points of view and m many voices coming to the table. And I think that's why young people are excited by that and they resonate with it. Fantastic, thank you very much indeed. Uh, no, there's no one behind you, so therefore, uh, we're going to move on to our um, second exhibition. Um, I will incur David's wrath by making a couple of yes, public, servants, mm. public service announcements, uh, one of which is that after the panel, and this is where you should save those questions that I uh, censored, uh, to ask us one-on-one um, -on -one and in small groups, uh, we are very generously hosted in an after-reception that takes place at number one Grand Army Plaza, it's the last uh, opportunity to see Clintel Steed's exhibition that hangs in the gallery there. That's a, a, a private residence um, which has a, um, a, an art program and very generously uh, supports uh, the review panel and, and hosts our after parties. Uh, um, the other service announcement can be ignored. And um, I feel that we have actually, um, in fairness to the Invitational, said, said quite a lot already about both exhibitions, and we're not doing it short shrift by uh, devoting less minutes uh, at this stage to the, to the uh, Invitational. But um, panelists, um, I have uh, nice examples by all the artists in the show. Um, and um, I just want to ask, 
this question to you to start with, um, and that is that the triennial, we've, I think, uh, established, had a very heavy-handed thesis. Uh, the invitational has almost, um, uh, the, well, has the complete opposite uh, scenario. It's simply, here's some good stuff, and, and here, is, here is art that's worthy of attention, and, and to, to Marjorie Kramer's point, that in fact, um, each artist is given really quite a generous amount of space and room um, and there are no uh, ostensible limitations on, on scale. The Joan Waltermat painting is pretty big by any standards. Mm. Um, um, Ankle Lotero is an example of almost one of the only artists who only has a, a single piece in the show, but he did have a recent solo exhibition reviewed on the review panel at the Bronx Museum. Um, um, so here is this process where which the, the members can nominate um, uh, artists they consider non-members, US-based artists they consider worthy of attention. Uh, a committee of academicians gathers and um, make a, a, a selection of artists. The curators, led by uh, Suhad uh, um, uh, Rafferty, um, um, uh, select these specific and individual works and install them. Um, and um, there's something very delightful and refreshing, isn't there, about just seeing quite a lot of really good work in these beautiful buildings that are, are, are a hidden secret, uh, hidden from, from many people in New York. I'm, whenever I take students up there to see the Invitational, they're just blown away by the fact that there's this these Stanford White-designed um, uh, glorious halls um, filled with, um, that, that only get to be seen kind of uh, once a year um, for this, this exhibition. Sorry, that's not the one to look at. Um, these installs. Let's look at some installs. And I'll just breeze through these. And you can see who the artists are above there. And you don't need to take time on that. But as soon as any um, panelists want to dwell on individuals, we can, uh, we can do so. But I did want to ask a generalized question. Um, is this, this is the, in a way, it's, it's um, a 19th century salon meets the Oscars because the, the real onus of interest and responsibility here is on um, which artists are going to get the prizes, either a purchase or a, a cash prize, a, a pat on the shoulder from um, the august academicians for the work they've been doing. Cedric Huckabee here, uh, who has the distinction of being George W. Bush's um, um, art teacher as well as a, obviously an artist in his own right. Um, uh, there is the Otero that I mentioned, next to work by Didier William, um, and uh, something by Roy Dowell here, and the sculptor Sanford Biggers. I'm doing what I said I wouldn't do, which is rattle off names. So, um, panelists, right. is this a valid criterion for a show? Just good stuff by new people? Well, not even new people. Good stuff by people. <laughs> <laughs> not the precariat and changing the world, but and, and colonialism and exploitation um, and capitalism in crisis, but simply some nice pictures, some of which will end up being by people like Didier William, um, an artist born in Haiti, Haiti who, who deals with um, issues of uh, black history, slavery, exploitation, etc. So we get some of the same themes without the curatorial intentionality. Yeah, Didier was actually my favorite 
in the show. Um, I hadn't come across his work before. Um, does these beautiful paintings on um, wood on panel, and that he carves at, into the surface. So, and he's also a, a printmaker. I think I think he was trained mm. as a printmaker, yeah. and so you can yeah. see those that sort of woodcut te technique and 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 these works, but. They're very reminiscent of me to Belka Seon, um, who just had a, sh um, was a Cuban artist who passed away several years ago, but had a show um, at El Museo. But um, I, these are just simply stunning, stunning, stunning works to me. Um, and it was just a joy to be able to get up close to them and um, really see his hand um, at play. So all of the eyes, just in case you haven't seen it, are actually incised into a wood, a blackened wooden wooden surface. Mm. And what I thought was so um, wonderfully evocative about that as an image is that it reminded me of, um, of course, like when we talk about uh, the psychoanalytic writing, like analyzing colonialism, like. Franz Fanon, where he talks about the epidermalization of the skin and, and this way of, of depicting a skin that's completely made of eyes. It was extremely evocative. Mm. But it also is a very ancient image, at least in the Western idiom, going back to Greek pots that represent um, Hera's lover, Argus, who was um, called all-seeing. But one of the ways that later becomes, by the fifth century, it starts being represented by being covered with eyes. And then as punishment, he gets turned into a peacock. And so you get these wonderful drawings of like this person covered with eye skin. And so I thought this was really, really um, inventive and wonderful too. I, I, I liked seeing them a lot. And I think, I believe some of the titles are um of 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 his work are often in Creole. I'm not sure if um, there was one painting, two dads, and then another whose name escapes me. But rah, rah. I love that. I love that. Um, mm -hmm. There's this kind of there's a language to his work that escapes mm -hmm. our ascertainment that that draws upon voodoo and draws mm. upon creole and draw, draws just draws upon cultural reference points that are not obvious um, mm. um but if you have that that positionality or or right, knowledge of it you can enter into the work into a different mm. a different way so mm. yeah mm. I, yeah stunning discovery for me in, in, great in this work. i i did know his work already but um he happens to be the chair of a department where I teach. It's a, it's a rather bizarre invitational for me because <laughs> two of the chairs that I work for are having to be represented in the show. So um, if I'm on tenterhooks right now, you'll know why. Um, <laughs> he's, he's actually the head of the uh, graduate program at PAFA. Uh -huh. um, I suppose I should. Uh, um, can we look at Ruth Root? Uh, we can indeed, yes, yes. What do you and, is anyone about? an iPad aficionado who can tell me how to get rid of this? So I can see the top. Uh, tap on the image. Ah, brilliant. Uh -huh. Okay. I've learned something tonight. <laughs> I've learned a lot. Tell, tell us something about Ruth Root, David, Sally. I just think they're terrific. I don't know why. They're kind of personages, aren't they? I don't know. Maybe I hadn't thought of them that way. I mean, you know, it must be said, things look very different on a screen. 
mm. than mm. Uh, on the wall. But this fabulous use of materials and shape and surface. And I think it's just a fantastic picture. Yes, yes. Who, who, who resonated in particular with you, um, Jared? You mentioned some Oh, else. well, you know, Raymond Saunders, uh-huh. whose work I've known uh, like in, uh, by accident sort of since I was a teenager, but I... Um, okay, sorry. Um, you've taught me one thing. Now you have to teach me another. How do I get the, those little online <laughs> things back again? Do you like these at all? With food, actually, I was pleasantly surprised to see her in the show. Like, I, I Wait, why don't you just say it? Oh, that we were having a re- recess. Um, I, David asked me uh, my thoughts of uh, of Ruth Root's work, and I was uh, saying I was pleasantly surprised to see to see her in the show. Um, the pictures don't do it justice. There's so many yeah. different textures. These, they're the works are also they consume you like they like spatially. They're so large, um, so you feel like you're kind of entering, or to me, into another dimension. It's not necessarily about a kind of pictorial, pictorial space. Hmm. Um, They're so eccentric. I have no idea what governs the choices, but I'm comfortable. I mean, I I feel like I'm in very good hands that whatever these choices, whatever the governing choices is, is the right thing. And I'm happy to surrender myself up to it. Right, right. Well, were we the kind of people disposed to making taxonomies, which I'm so grateful we are not, mm-hmm. um, you could make a kind of map right now, almost a diagnostic map of approaches to abstraction right now in, paint, in abstract painting in particular. Not, um, and, and I think that that kind of assemblage, Ruth Root mm. um, path is one, is one path that, that we could talk about that gets picked up in other works in the, in the show. But for me, I, I was really knocked out by these Raymond Saunders paintings. This one and, and the other one that has uh, more drawing in it. I don't remember what, what that one was called. Um, oh, Untitled, the other Untitled. Yes. Yeah, you know, I just thought they had fantastic presence and energy and were put together in a way that was very strange. And I was, I think compared to a lot of people who try and make paintings like this right now, which is like maybe one of the predominant modes in Brooklyn of making kind of whatever off kilter collaged um, kinds of paintings, you know, there's an absolute kind of, he's almost like a swordsman, like an absolutely perfectly trained fencer, putting things together, hitting it in exactly the right place with a kind of confidence and quickness that I just find so so um, fulfilling. I think that he is an artist. I mean, he is an older artist. He's born in 1934. And um, he's an artist I would love to see a really big show in New York um, because I think that it feels... Uh, I think, first of all, that it would be very instructive for a lot of younger painters who are working in the same mode. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, this is the most single most successful use of glitter in the show. Um, and glitter is a thing right now, is it not? Well, you the... know what? I just got back from Florence, and I was looking at the Fra Angelicos, and he was using glitter in those paintings. Um, it sounds like a joke, but I swear to God, over a drink, I'll explain it. But um, these... <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I think it's wonderful. And because the way that like this glitter is happening, he actually orchestrates a kind of play between um, Mark 
and color and surface and reflection that makes the glitter actually meaningfully integrated into the pictorial um, structure that isn't just like, like oh, I'm going to make a, a kind of weird arch and then just splatter some glitter on top of it. Yes. You know, I really feel like there is a kind of expansive looseness that makes me even think, because these are particularly mm -hmm. late, uh, or not yeah. late, but I mean recent, recent yeah. 2016, that, um, you know, in Said's book on late style, where he talks about late Beethoven quartets as being crystallizations of the, um, the, the parts that are not resolved and the way that they form this kind of ex exquisite um, sort of brokenness, but extra an extraordinarily refined level. That's how I felt about these Raymond Saunders. Mm. I thought they were terrific. Oh. I mean, I think that other one that has like the, the flowers on it and stuff, it's really hard to try and pull that off. And maybe some people don't think that he did, but in person, mm -hmm. this painting is also one of the few paintings in the show that I felt like works as a, as a painting and not as a picture. And most of the paintings in the show, I thought, were really about looking good online or a, as an image and not as in a painting. In the Invitational. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're selected by looking at pictures, so I don't know why that wouldn't be the case. Um, but, yeah, no, I really think it's hard to, to get just, like, what's so strange and exciting about this to me, I, not in person. I, I would have thought that's um, a little bit of, I mean, I'm a little taken aback that you think that the artists in the show would have, um, would, would no, think that No, but the works way. that go in the show were decided mm. by looking at images. Well, that's just an, an expedience, isn't it? Um, for me, I have a real soft spot. Well, I, I happen to collect art by critics. It's interesting that it's a, uh, <laughs> critics who are also artists is a category that uh, Jarrett decided to, on principle, exclude from his um, Forthcoming book on uh, of dialogues with critics. No, painter no. artists who write criticism, not critics who make art. They're allowed. Okay, that's a quite a strict taxonomy. It's a, so you go, you look at their tax return. Do you? I mean, how do you decide? <laughs> I, I, I wonder how one decides that somebody is is a uh, whether the zebra has, is white with black stripes or black with white stripes. It's um, um, interesting. Anyway. Um, I, collect, I, love, I love painters who write, um, and I have... Um, um, what, what, what other critics paint? Sorry? Which other critics Walter paint? Walter Robinson. Walter. Walter Robinson, Alexi Worth, uh -huh. uh, Robert Storr, who's here, Merlin James, Timothy Hyman, uh -huh. Joe Fife, James Hyde. Uh -huh. um, I guess we could go on. There are many others. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's very healthy for artists... Jennifer Riley. Critics to try to make Amy art. Joan Waltermat, yes, who's been on the review panel. Shout out, everybody. Painters who write. Robert Morgan, Robert C. Morgan. No, no, no critics no, no, who no, paint. No, painters oh. write. No, people who function predominantly as, as a critic. Bob Storr, who also paint. That's that's a different category. Okay, you're right. So, so you two are really quite fixed on this. Um, uh, we get it. I'm sorry to say. The 60-40 thing. I mean, where, where, where? Well, I don't think anyone in the world would talk about Rob Storr as an artist. Rob Storr is a curator and a writer who right. makes paintings. That's yes. not the same thing well, as being a painter. Then Peter Plagans, uh, where, does, where would he fit? Say it again. Peter Plagans. Uh, he is primarily... Let's not go there. 
Let's not go there. All right. So I, you don't I have to love him. Rob, though, you just have to say he's he much, much better known as a critic than as a an artist. But we've seen a show of his recently. Um, uh, Adrian Stokes, the late Adrian Stokes, would be an example of a critic who took up painting. Oh, actually, um, funny enough, um, well, um, Max Kozloff is now painting, but he's definitely primarily known as a critic. Um, and um, Fairfield Porter, your hero. No, he's a painter who No, writes. I mean, he's a painter Fairfield was a painter Fairfield who was a wrote painter. To gain Copeland's more visibility. This, this is, is not great. very yeah. fair to the Invitational. Yeah. No. It isn't. Yeah. But let's let's just talk about, about let's talk art. about Rob's paintings since they're on the screen. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. I love these paintings. Okay. Why? <laughs> because of their their their, their handmaidenness, um, despite mm -hmm. being um, seemingly structurally a priori. Um, and so there is that tension that you were referring to between um, uh, a preconception, perhaps. Well, the tension you were speaking of was the classic form content one. Uh, to my mind, the, the tension is more um, of a, a, a preconception and um, a willingness to revise. And I, I also feel myself being, um, I feel that his brush is taking me into the space. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, and and he sets up, I think, conditions of um, almost mm. unsympathetic, sort of almost nebbish kind of color choices, and yet somehow, mm -hmm. um, despite despite uh, themselves, um, they become uh, very convincing and slightly dainty, mm -hmm. uh, well, well, hard-edged dainty. Well put. What do you think, Jessica? You know, oh, and when I was entering into this gallery or into this part, section of the gallery, it took, I, I tried to turn away from these works, actually. <laughs> and not because I didn't like them, but because there, there was this kind of attraction to them. Um, you turn away from things you're attracted to? I don't know. Maybe it's like this Freudian thing. I have no idea. But, <laughs> but um I wish I had given them more attention. That's all I can say. Um, and I didn't know that they were Rob Store's works. Not that that should be why I should give them more attention, but no. Um, That's a yeah, reason. they were. My philosophy is if something stays with you, then it's you're, the artist did something right. You mm -hmm. know, whether or not it was a positive or negative reaction to it, if it's mm -hmm. in the back of your mind. Do but you I remember that moment that I turned away. Ah. <laughs> do you recall your reaction, uh, Jarrett? I do. Um, in art news back in the day when it used to cover every show in New York, in the back there were wonderful one-line reviews that people like John Ashbery or James Schuyler would write. And my only, the only thing I have to say about this is it would be like my impersonation of one of those, which would be Robert Storr exhibits tasteful, modest abstractions of rectangles Prices unquoted. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Sounds like a tweet. <laughs> right. Um, something you wish to say, David? Or are you happy to move on? Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. Um, here, 
audience, you demand who we talk about. Oh no, but there's so many good things to talk about. How do you, you underestimate the audience, sir? Um, John Waltermatt. John Waltermatt. God bless you. <laughs> Goddess bless you, more importantly. Uh, why is she... Uh... Oh, what a good picture. Not. I mean, this is like the definition of a painting that does not work as a picture. Uh, oh, I see. Right. So it's more painterly and less pictorial. It's only present. Oh. You know, it only works in person. It does right. not work as a, pic as a photograph. As an image of itself. Yeah. Okay. And so, but of course, um, we are not reviewing photographs. We're... we're, we're we're trying to, our job as critics is to, is, it's ekphrastic, it's to reconstitute and, and describe through our enthusiasm um, what it might have been like to see the actual painting rather than this dingy picture. So, mm -hmm. Jarrett, you lead, tell us um, uh, what, uh, talk us through, uh, describe for us the Walter Mad. Well, for instance, it's, um, it's huge. It's, uh, the, this sheet tells me it's 172 by 168 and a half inches, which... I'm not a mathematician, so I don't know what that means. But I know that it's big. Um, I am close to Joan, and I saw this and the series of this paintings being painted in Nebraska last year, um, which I think means that I am more equipped rather than less equipped to talk about them with any kind of intelligence and sophistication. This is from a series of paintings that she's making about the Treaty of 1868, a lament, this about um, the Treaty of 1868 is, of course, when Native, uh, Native Americans of the Plains made an agreement with the United States uh, to settle in, a, in a, a finite space of land in exchange for certain, uh, certain rights, which, of course, were endlessly violated ever since, and it was like a big disaster. Um, and, and Joan's family is tracing this back not only to her own family, who had settled on... Um, treaty land, mm. but also her contemporaneous engagement with um, uh, indigenous uh, artists and, and populations in, in the West. So that's a kind of like whatever the new museum backstory of them. What I'm interested in is the paintings, mm. which are these very unusual, strange, never quite seen a painting like it before, in which there is all of this strange marriage and overlay between different kinds of um, pictorial abstract idioms that are not in harm, they don't fit together and they're also not clashing together. They're just kind of flowing in and out of coexistence. Mm. And um, the ground itself is this elaborate, precise, um, harmonic, uh, sewn ground, which creates an arm, like a visual armature underneath it, upon which there's these strange. Um, mm. paintings that emerge out of various kinds of phosphor and uh, pigments. May I ask you, David, if you didn't know the, the backstory and the, the political angle, whether you would intuit from this painting um, that, that it, it's a painting with a subject beyond um, its um, formal execution, <clears throat> beyond its... Probably not, but I, but I would, in general, about most works of art be the last person to intuit those kinds of things I would be you know I don't uh, mm. that's lower down on my but some, list, some work gives a vibe doesn't it that even if you can't well uh, immediately uh, but, and obviously read it that it had some um, uh, some 
um, representational um, impetus? Well, I hadn't thought about the, what it means. Mm. I, mean, I, might, I might have got there. Do you think it works as a painting? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think much of the reasons that Jarrett's um, so eloquently yeah. describing, that it's, it's this, I mean, I think this is the, one of the themes of the evening. There's a kind of fluidity of, yeah. of uh, there are all different ways to, I mean, people have been putting things together. Mm-hmm. Someone once said that even, even, even Watteau was a, was a reshuffler of old stuff. I mean, old masters were already reshuffling stuff. But yes. there's, you know, there's as many different ways to put things together as there are eras in which it's done. And there's a different way of doing it lately yes. that shows up. And it shows up in, 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 a, in a, not just one look of work, but in a wide range of work. And this mm-hmm. is kind of one of our themes, and this is one of our examples. Yes. Um, so, audience, I, I say, you know, it could be the first come, first served, whoever shouts out a name. But I'd like to have a sense, I would like to have a sense that the audience collectively yearns for this panel to discuss a specific painter. So, who do you nominate? Ruth Miller. Ruth Yay! Miller. Anyone I love else? those paintings. Do I have a seconder from the audience for Ruth Miller? Yes, you do. Okay. <laughs> then, then let us... Um, democratic. Um, the first what show the that name? I curated at the studio school was Ruth Miller, so I have a soft spot for her. And here she is. Um, yeah. Just next to Moya in the alphabetical list. Um, wow, yikes. So, um, David, um, when you were setting out as a young painter, um, there was a con- constituency of um, representation in New York that would look very much like Ruth Miller, she would be a, a fine example of a certain kind of New York school realist painting. Um, and you took the art world somewhat by storm as a realist. Um, but I couldn't hear you. Say it again. You took the art world by storm with Not a me. resurgence of a certain kind of representation that had, and, and a certain attitude towards still life. Do you, do you have any feelings about a, a painter like Ruth Miller? I, I like them. I don't have any... Um developing to say about them. I like still life painting as a genre. Mm-hmm. Underappreciated genre. Yes. Um, and yeah, there, there it's, so what is still life painting? It, it has to sell us on the, the, the interior world in the painting. It has to somehow be brought to life, be brought on its feet. And these, these do it in, yeah. in, in its own, own way. Fantastic. Any feelings, Jessica? You can look at the JPEG. Um, do I have feelings? Um, I don't have feelings. I have observations, I think. Yes. So I couldn't help but think about like, what would a Cezanne now be doing if he were still mm. make, alive with us and making still lives. And I think still mm. lives, rather. And these are... Those kind of quick, wide brushstrokes that are very much about sensation and immediacy, mm-hmm. I really loved in this work. Um, but then there, there is also this kind of um, this. There's something subdued about these works mm-hmm. too that um, put them in conversation with Morandi for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so they're interesting pictures to look at, I think, um, but I don't have any feelings about them. Um, right. This was my introduction to, to her work, this, the, invitation, the Invitational. Fantastic. Um, all right, audience, time for one more. Ah, anybody second Wait, that? Can, can I say something about but, Ruth Miller just for a second? Oh, sorry, yes. Okay, so I think that there is a kind, there's a way of make. there's a lot of different ways of making a picture. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a way in which you're making a painting from observation that is not necessarily end, end goal-oriented, but is about being present in your body in time and space mm -hmm. and learning something about where you're at through making something, yeah. which which is in in a way um, mm. a form of slowing your your observing mind down, aligning your hand with your mind with your eye as a way of thinking and being present all at once. Mm. And it's not a very contemporary quote unquote way of making things, but I think that these Ruth Miller ones for me are so much about thinking and being present and seeing, in a way that especially considering that. Uh, she's in her late 80s, and, and these are contemporary paintings. It's very moving to enter to and very generous to get to enter into that. And there's a kind of one-to-one -one relationship between the, the mark and the hand and the observation and the thought in these paintings that I don't know that they add up to a great painting, but they add up to, to something that, that maybe is more interesting than a great painting in some ways, which is to experience how someone else is mm. thinking and being. So I, I really appreciated that someone like her was in included in this show. Yes. And of course, she was married to the great artist Andrew Forge. Um, great writer, Andrew and, Forge. And great writer. We got, we got a theme. Yeah, we got a theme. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Yes, Huckabee. Yeah, here he is. Now, this is monumental painting, <laughs> uh, which uses a material. Uh, David might remember what it's called. It's um, it's a, it's a, uh, a material that's uh, kind of synthetic. It's like a clay paint. So um, um, this is one that I had some trouble with for that reason. Uh, what are we looking at here? Oh, of course, we're looking at the artist's photograph of his painting in his studio, which is why it's a total mess, really. Um, this is not this. This is not part of the image, the uh, palette. And that you, is just oil on canvas. It, it's not just oil on canvas. No, it's got a material. Look more close. It, it should tell us. Right. No. So the other ones do say oil wood panels sell you clay. Sell you clay. Right. Uh, but the, the smaller scale works. The smaller ones. But okay. the large portrait just says oil on canvas. And that image, the scale is not. For, I mean, for those of you who aren't at the show, who are, who didn't make it to the Invitational, that yeah. last painting is humongous. It um, is pretty, pretty, pretty large. Isn't yeah. it? Yes. <laughs> um, here he is. That's right. You see, there it is next to a uh, Marina Adams. Um, um, and uh, um, the the nose is so built up that it protrudes, and it's a, it stands in sculptural relief. Um, I really loved his other works. This one I found problematic for that reason because it means to me that um, when you look at a painter like Lucian Freud, certain parts build up with a, an impasto and an encrustation um, because the artist obsessed about them. It's usually the face and the genitals, which are obviously the things that interested Freud the most. Um, but um, here, the, 
it's, it's possible that Huckabee may have obsessed about the nose, but I have a horrible feeling that he just wanted the nose to stick out. And that's, that's a bit like an artist using pentimenti to get a certain depth and, and creating pentimenti without them actually having arisen the way in pentimenti, or in this case, impasto, do. Do you see that problem? Well, that's a, that, no, it's not a problem at all. I mean, that's a pretty minor um, f- you know, fly in the ointment, if it's a fly. The, the, con- the conception of the painting as a painting is so weird mm. and so hard to um, not place exactly, because placing is not the point, but just hard to... Um, I, I mean, I take it, no pun intended, at face value. It, it, it's, it's a thing. I mean, yes. if someone made something, it's very eccentric and and they have the top. One senses a strong feeling for that particular individual. Say it again. This is going to be, you're going to hate this. But it, I, one senses a strong feeling on the artist's part for this. Oh, I could care less about that. I don't, I, don't, I mean, how would but, you know? I mean, I don't but know. But you know, to, to that point, it, there is something that recalls those, I can't remember the name, it's a very specific kind of painting, that were the Romanized. Um, the Fayum? The, the Fayum. The Fayum. Portrait. Fayum portraits. Yeah. I, it, it didn't occur to me when I was there, but I know, it's, seeing it It's Fayum esque. But yeah. much larger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's a Sorry. that's a kind of painting which is oh. which is a wonderful, mm. it's a wonderful mm. reference. And, reference. And, yeah. Uh, I love that. That was work that I w- yeah. wanted to steer away from the Huckabee oh. works. I just thought they were so weird. I'm like, I don't have time for this. Yeah, it's, it's, but then they have this gravitational draw. I mean, it'd be interesting to see it next to um, next to a Joe Zucker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. They're very weird. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, I mean the, like the, the tondo, objects. not even a real tondo, but whatever that shape is, that just ellipse, yeah. is weird. I actually like the the figure the best. Um, uh-huh. The f- when they kind of become mm. fully articulated out yeah. of paint, it's very strange and interesting way of making yes. an object. Yes, um, I I kind of like this this one. Um, it seemed it seemed hokey, but it, it works. You know um, the. Um, Painting into sculpture. What else did you want to talk about, Jessica? Well, I like this work too, actually. Yes. Uh, going back to the the portrait, I believe it's of his sister. Right. Right. Um, I wanted to say, his wife. Okay. I wanted to say that those works are emphatically painterly. Like they're not. They're they're emphatically, emphatically painterly. painterly. They're uh-huh. not. Um, they don't aspire for photorealism, but achieve that kind of effect when you look at them. But certainly, they are like this artist lives in his material, and you can see that it's palpable. Um, and then when you switch to the the smaller scale works, like the the ones that I found to be very strange, where you have this compilation of cam of tiny canvases, and at at the center you see this kind of sculptural object this figure i thought okay that's how am i to deal deal with this i've never seen a work like this before but um in thinking about this paint or about this work rather i kind of see it as a metaphor for a black family (laughs) and this you know central male figure being of but apart from from this unit um Caged, literally, is uh, literally caged. The, um, the number of 
black fathers who are incarcerated. Mm. That, and that could be reductive, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> could be. It, it, but you know, it could be an instructive it, but it, as well. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know. There are no labels for the Invitational, which yes. was great because you could mm-hmm. really engage with the work on, your, on its own terms, um, on its own visual terms, and... Right. do the research afterwards if you something resonated with you but thank you yeah i feel i've great. involved the audience by having them nominate the subjects we talk about mm. i'm just going to make my service announcement which is the next panel is on may the 9th where my guests will be colleen asper eva diaz and gregory volk that is a wednesday and let's go for a drink and a nibble to one grand army plaza you just come out the library you cross Eastern Parkway. On your left, you'll see, I'm afraid to say, a Richard Meyer building. Um, and um, behave yourself in there, and see you soon. Mm. And thank you to my panelists and to Brooklyn Public Life.